Hey everyone, I'm Ron Johnson, and this is Locked On Sports Minnesota's podcast roundtable. I am Ron Johnson, former Gophers wide receiver, you know, Vikings game day live, everything sports and TV. And then I'm a Kirk Cousins apologist. We got <laughs> Luke Inman from the uh, Superior Sports Talk podcast alongside his co-host Reggie Wilson, Carol Evans, sports anchor, seen on sidelines, standing next to shorter people, making them stand <laughs> on boxes. That's Reggie. <laughs> you wanted to see a little TV magic? It happens. And then, of course, we got Sam Ekstrom, host uh, and co-host of the Ron Johnson Show, also the producer of everything on Locked On Sports Minnesota and podcaster heard around the world. Again, I'm Ron Johnson. That's Sam Ekstrom. That's Reggie Wilson. And we got Luke Inman over there looking like an Eminem makeup guy. I mean, he just looks like a guy that like could go out <laughs> and be Eminem at the state fair, color the beard a little bit, and uh, it's definitely Eminem. But hey, guys, I'm wearing the shirt for a reason. I wore it last night, and I and, and it felt like a kid going my first day of school. I had to put it right back on. Why? Because there was real football for the first time at Huntington Bank Stadium. I saw Reggie on the sideline getting his pregame hits. Uh, I saw, you know, I, I couldn't stay for the presser. I had to get home to my kids, but I saw Reggie going to the presser. So I want to jump out there first, Reggie, because you were there. You were at the press conference. The P.J. Fleck, Jerry Kill conversation, <laughs> is it finally done? Yeah, yeah, it's it's put to bed, man. I think um, PJ got out there. You know, he talked about like how he's never, you know, skipped out or or you know, made a guy you know leave a guy out hanging for the pregame postgame handshake. He's just like that's college football. That's what they do, and so he went out there. Um, it was kind of funny yesterday, the pregame one, because he almost seemed a little too. I think someone said he was, like, too handsy. Like, he was selling it too much. He was just like, oh, Jerry. Like, he just kept putting his hand on him. He kept, you know, just, like, half-hugging him and talking to him. And PJ said that he told him, uh, thank you for everything that you've done for my career. Uh, you know, I've been a, a Jerry Kill guy from the very start. And so I guess, I guess it was pleasant. I guess it was all good. But, you know, PJ talked about how he never – once uttered any bad word, any ill will toward Jerry Kill, um, despite <laughs> all the stuff that Jerry Kill was saying, uh, he was just kind of letting the slugs fly against PJ Fleck and against the the program, which was kind of weird. And we don't have to go there, but I, I don't necessarily understand where all the bitterness and vitriol comes from when it comes to Jerry Kill, because it was a decision I'm sure that he did not want to make but for health reasons it was one that he was forced to make and pj didn't even directly come after him so it was just like dang like why you why you throwing all these you know i feel like pj probably saw him was just like now why i'm in it you know like why what, what did i do and so i i think you know pj took the higher road and you know told him that he was thankful for him and, and his impact on his career. And even afterwards, he was just like, you know, I appreciate Jerry's passion for this program because he wants to still be here. He was like, and I understand that because I want to be here. And he was like, this is a place that I enjoy. This is a place that I know he enjoyed. And so I understand where his passion comes from. And so I think we can finally put it to bed. Two handshakes last night. Well, Depending on how you look at it, PJ gave him like 76 handshakes last night. But one pregame, one postgame, put it to bed with the the 38 nothing beatdown last night. Yeah, he killed him with kindness, didn't he? He, re yeah. he definitely, you know, took the higher. I want to know, you know, what happens if PJ doesn't walk all the way across the field and seeks him out and kind of finds him right away and shakes his hand? Because it was PJ, right, who was the proactive one in that whole thing. Mm -hmm, Kill mm -hmm. wasn't looking for him or, or anything like that. So I guess props to PJ, like Reggie said, for being the one to kind of set the tone right away and beeline it over to him to clear the air, I guess I'm assuming. He did give one too many little shoulder taps for my yeah, liking. That was a little aggressive. Weird? He was kind of selling it. He was selling it. But that's PJ, so I guess take the good with the bad. But, yeah, this is definitely squashed. I think Reggie's right. I just like to picture that, like, the actual words, because we just saw, like, the video and, like, their mouths moving. 
I just picture like Fleck putting on the handshake and the shoulder taps, but just saying, oh, I can't stand you, Jerry Kill. <laughs> they're like, smile for the camera, smile for the camera, but man, I can't believe what you've done to me. I'm going to squash you. Yeah, Here's I'm the thing about the shoulder thing. So understand this too. When you shake a man's hand, if you, if you shake like a boy's hand and you're bigger than him, you put your hand on his shoulder, you're kind of sunning him. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. you're, 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 yes. you're controlling the conversation. Hey, little buddy. Yeah. Control it. So I think in that moment, PJ mentally was trying to control the situation. And it's almost like a reassurance. Like, hey, hey, it's okay. Like, we're boys. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is where I go with this, too. So two things from this. One, there was a voicemail that Jerry Kill left PJ Fleck. PJ mm -hmm. Fleck could have released that or somehow it got, could have got leaked if somebody could have hacked into PJ's phone. Mm -hmm. um, PJ took the high road and... It's, it's never going to touch media's ears. It's never going to touch the world's ears. But Jerry left a voicemail to PJ uh, that wasn't nice. Um, mm. and, and so when you think about that, PJ has taken the high road this entire time. If Jerry Kill was smart, because there's always a second half to this life we live. If he was smart, he would start taking credit for PJ Fleck. Because you look at coaching trees. Kevin O'Connell, if he does well, Sean McVay is going to get the credit for that. When Matt LaFleur did well, you know, like when, when Shanahan did well, like when all these coaches are doing well, we always go back to their tree. You know, you mm -hmm. go all the way back to the Andy Reid, uh, Romeo Cornell, Bill Belichick, all coming from Parcells, all this. Like they're all these guys that like, whether it's good or bad, they eventually realize like, you know what? I could probably make more money taking credit for this guy than I can fighting him. You know, yep. you catch more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. And I think, uh, you know, or gasoline and in a match, like you, you <laughs> might kill some bees, but you're not going to catch them. And yeah. so I think that's where we got to leave this with Jerry Kill is he has to start taking credit because PJ is trying to give it to him. Like, I'm a kill guy. I love mm -hmm. kill. You know, he's got to start taking credit for it. Say, yeah, you know what? That running up and down the sideline, that was me. You know, I, I taught him that, you know, like, like the, the roll the boat. Hey, that was my or first. But, you know, like if I'm Jerry Kill, I'm I'm not going to fight this anymore because he's 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 become a big figurehead with with what he does. He wrote a book, all this stuff. And so um, going, let's go to the game, you know, and, and, and fans. So you understand what you're going to get from this podcast and this roundtable. We're going to have a, a variety of topics today. We're going to talk Vikings. We're going to talk J-Lo. Because I got to talk about J-Lo and some of the things I'm hearing in these reports about what she's doing in the mansion when A-Rod brings potential buyers <laughs> to the house. Um, I knew you would love that. That's why hey, I put it in. The, I'm so excited. Hey, I that got, you're excited. Yes, yes. I'm ready for the J-Lo, A-Rod set. Now, Mark Laurie, you fool. You got, you got uh, what is that, medusa in this. Like you stared into her eyes and you turned into stone, you big dummy. Um, <laughs> And then we got to talk <laughs> the Vikings-Green Bay game. Excited about that. But I had to jump out there and get this Jerry Kill and P.J. Flex stuff. Time to put it to bed. Now let's talk football. 36.5 point favorites, the Gophers. And Luke, Sam, and Reggie, I know where me and Sam stood. I didn't think they would cover Sam. I think you kind of said they would. Um, Luke and Reggie, uh, what did you think about that 38-point win, but also P.J. taking the high road even there. He went four-minute offense with about three minutes, four to three, three to four minutes to go in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. He started draining the clock out because he was just – which also is not a bad idea if you're up by any amount in a, in a Big Ten game. I was like, I actually like that. If you're up 14 or 21, hey, run four-minute offense. Let's slow – like, do not give them any extra seconds because if you have to punt, you want to punt and, and take up as much clock as you can. Hey, but that's a whole different topic. I'm going to tweet that out because that, that might be a winning strategy for the Gophers getting the 10 wins. But what do you think about that win? Uh, let's go with you, Reggie, first. So I think the win was – I don't know. Like, it wasn't the most, like, exciting football game. I feel like – what was, like – the longest touchdown was maybe like two, three yards because <laughs> we we got like, you know, the, the runs from Mo, uh, one from Trey, a couple from a couple quarterback sneaks from Tanner Morgan. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't think Tanner Morgan passed over like 12, 13 yards yesterday, um, a pass. So it was it was one of those like grinded out games. I feel like the game just lasted forever. I remember looking up at the at the scoreboard up in the press box, which, man, it was burning up up in that press box, man. For one, 
terrible, terrible decision on my part to wear a suit yesterday. <laughs> terrible decision. I, I tried to dish the tie thinking it was cool. Like, oh, no, I won't wear a tie. That'll keep me, you know, a little bit cooler. No, no, that's that's not what happened. Anyway, I, I do think that the, the Gophers win was impressive. But, but funny enough, as impressive as the win was, I do think that they kind of let the foot off the gas a little bit. And I feel like they could have been a little bit more aggressive. I know yesterday Sam and I were talking about how, you know, PJ's – uh, game plan sometimes can be a bit conservative and he was just a little concerned about New Mexico State um, being able to compete with them because if PJ came out with his foot not necessarily on the gas as much that he would let them hang around you know similar to maybe like the Bowling Green game last year and that was not the case I man I was looking up at one point in the fourth quarter I was like oh man New Mexico State only has 48 total yards this is really bad and I guess you know they've played a couple games before you know most teams have played one and you know people were talking about that maybe they they got you know tired two games in five days or whatever it was and I I I guess but they just look like a team totally outmatched yesterday and like the Gophers put a whooping on them and that was just it was kind of hard to watch at times yeah, the Gophers had more to lose than they did to gain last night. Um, but as Reggie and I talked about yesterday on Superior Sports, the Gophers have messed around with some pretty bad non-conference opponents in recent years. So for them to to really flex their muscles from start to finish and be able to coast through the fourth quarter, I think is a good thing. And the, the third down efficiency, spectacular, 11 of 14. They did get enough of the passing game going to say, all right, you know, there, there's something there. There's more meat on the bone. Um, and the running game was obviously outstanding. 300 yards. Mo Ibrahim, you know, gets out healthy from the game, and he looks like his old self. That's awesome. Chrisotman Bell has a little bit of wiggle to him. Uh, and obviously the defense was stifling. I don't know if we learned a lot of meaningful things from this game, but at least we, we saw a Gophers team that was clearly head and shoulders better than the Aggies. And I don't think Western Illinois will offer much of a test either. I think we got to wait till September 17th to really see what this team is made of when they play Colorado and Ron Johnson gets inducted into the Gophers <laughs> Hall of Fame. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add just here real quick that, you know, anytime Vegas tells you you're supposed to win by over five touchdowns, like you said, Sam, the bar is set so high, it's really tough to exceed those expectations. But as far as the game itself, yeah, exactly what we expected anyways. They do, in fact, uncover 36 and a half. You mentioned it, Tanner Morgan kind of fed off the running game with Mo and Trey Potts. Worked in a little bit of good play action here and there. He was efficient, made enough throws to move the chain, soak up the clock with some long drives. 13 of 19, 174 yards. Nothing that wows you in the stat box. His leading receivers, Michael Brown Stevens and Chris Ottman Bell, only had three catches each mm. because they really never needed to push the uh, a ball downfield much at all. So defense was strong. Couple sacks, one interception. Uh, again, though, in the end, exactly what you want from the first game on the schedule versus soft opponent. A nice clean performance top to bottom a good confidence booster heading into what should be like you said sam another cakewalk against western and illinois but yeah in the end though all the beef and smack talk around kill kind of falls short and they get all that cleaned up before the game pj squash that down on the field during warm-ups uh because again as we mentioned just to you know clean this up here pj's the bigger man and he took the high road and, and he doesn't have time for those games but yeah a good clean win top to bottom on the field yeah, and so when, when you look at this Coach Fleck kill thing, we can finally put that to bed. You look at the point spread. Uh, they covered 36 and a half points, so they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I think it was a 14, 21-point game. Uh, it, it did, I agree with Reggie, it did feel like a slow start game. Uh, the best thing for me was being in the tunnel uh, with uh, AD Mark Coyle and then President Joan Gable and, you know, just joking around, he was like, oh, you don't you don't have a sideline pass? And I'm like, no, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just with the media. I was like, I, I got to go back up because security was telling me, like, oh, okay, you can't be on the field anymore. And then I don't know what's going to happen, but Mark was like, let me text somebody. So hopefully, because he's the leg director, I should have a, a sideline pass, at least for the Colorado game for the Hall of Fame. Because I'm like, hey, can I stay on – I mean, can I stay on the field for that at least? Um, but I don't even know if I'll be down there. I have a lot of family in town. But that was that was actually a cool moment too, like being able to talk to them in the tunnel for a little bit. Um, and, and then Joan, you know, hearing some of the stuff they had. And I got to meet um, – uh, 
Gabe Stevenson. Um, Gable was there, and so I don't know what they forgot. What I didn't even see him get what they did with him, but he had his two trophies or something. Um, didn't take a picture with him. I don't know why I didn't. I, I was I wasn't even thinking about it, but yeah, I got to talk to him in the tunnel for a little bit. But I'm pretty sure the Colorado game he'll be back, so I'll make sure to get a picture with the uh, the, the future WWE champion. Right. Um, uh, and so, because you know it's coming, it's coming fast. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna oh, have yeah. a special move. You know, we we know Brock Lesnar had the F five. Gabe's gonna have some kind of special move. I I need to get on him early now. Though and say, hey, next year when you're there, when you, when you guys wrestle in Minneapolis, I just need to have something. I don't know what. I don't know if if I need to come out there and 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 and, and throw Goldie at him or something. Or I don't know. I got to do something. I need to be a part of this. But. <laughs> Before we get into Vikings-Packers discussion, a reminder that BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Gophers, of course, covered last night. Vikings are one-point dogs against the Packers. You can find those lines and more, MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL lines at BetOnline.net, your top online resource for all sports wagering info. Live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they've got you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline, where the game starts. As we move on, uh, looking at this week of Vikings football, uh, as of it's still it's still like preseason right now. It's Saturday uh, coming up tomorrow, and then you got Sunday. Uh, but then Monday. Monday, the official week starts. You start to see real – People make moves, but still not a serious practice yet. Wednesday will be the first serious practice for all those football fans who understand what the week looks like. Wednesday, Thursday is install and go, go, go. Uh, Friday is, is kind of like a, a light run through practice, no pads. Saturday is a meal prep and you get to hang out, get ready. And then Sunday, it's all she wrote. And then you got the concert out on the uh, the, the grassy knoll. And then you got the game at 325. So it should be a good one. Fans will be lathered up because they're going to start drinking at 11 a.m. Mm. should be a good one. Um, but when you guys think about this week of Vikings moves, trades, uh, roster spots added, uh, guys cut that we were, you know, Amir Smith-Marset, Smith you bring in Jalen Rager. Um, I'm going to go with you first, Luke. Uh, what do you, Luke, from Superior Sports Talk, Luke, what do you think of the Vikings week. Yeah, well, I, you know, as far as just previewing this matchup week one, starting out hot against the Packers, obviously. I think I told Reggie, maybe it was Sam a few episodes ago, that, you know, if I'm the Packers, I'm taking my two-headed monster, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. I'm just giving them the ball until they can prove they got better in the offseason and improve their 25th worst rush defense. And in doing so, I'm taking out all the – Rodgers has no weapons in the passing game. All that talk out of the equation. You work in a couple play-action deep shots here and there, but that's it. And that was with Armin Watts in the starting spot because when you looked at all 22 starters, that third defensive line spot was by far the biggest question mark outside of Bradbury at center. Now, 10 days before the season, you dump that guy, you bring in somebody completely new, doesn't know the system, doesn't know the playbook, doesn't know the calls or checks. And by the way, I don't know if he's got one real dominant trait to begin with anyways that you can just, you know, certainly say, hey, we just upgraded for Armin Watts. PFF first six games for Blacklock last year. It was pretty solid. Then the rest of the year, uh, pretty below average. And that's saying it nicely, according to the grades. And, and I know that PFF's not gospel by any means, but it's something to note that according to PFF, you actually downgraded versus the run and versus the pass going from Watts to Blacklock. So I just think logistically standpoint straight on the field we may have to ask Ron about this too but I can't imagine just 10 days before the season he's able to come in and start this game knowing what we know so now what are you doing you're leaning into a rotation Jonathan Bullard James Lynch guys like that but now if I'm the Packers I'm just doubling down I'm running that ball 40 times I'm running it right behind that left tackle and left guard until again they can prove that they can stop that run yeah it yeah, it's interesting, man. Like, you can definitely tell that Quasey was a, a guy who used to wheel and deal, you know, uh, on the open market. Like, he's always just trying to, like, maximize the value for his team. And so he's willing to, to you know, do this deal, do that deal. I think it was, what, like four trades in 10 days and – you know, it remains to be seen, like, what these deals are going to actually net the Vikings on the field. But I do think 
that they they took a big swing, you know, getting a guy like Jalen Rager and giving up a guy like Amir Smith-Marset after only a year. Also, what type of indictment is this on Rick Spielman and the, the previous Vikings regime that Kwesi has come in and just like, man, the heck with that draft class last year. Like, it, only four players left from the 2021 draft class. He likes all of his guys. But as far as the guys from last year, he's like, yeah, yeah get, get those guys out of here. I'm not, I'm not with it. And so they're very calculated decisions. And it's interesting because Kwesi is not a traditional football guy. He's come in and immersed himself with the game. And, you know, you, you want to see him do well. But I know there are cer- certain moves so far that people are just like, what is he doing? I don't understand. Because – like Luke said, like switching out Armin Watts for Blacklock, I don't really know, you know, what is going to net. And Ryan, you probably can answer this better, but it, it seems weird that they make a trade like that right, you know, before the season starts for a guy that hasn't been in the system. You know, they, they switch out a guy that's, you know, done camp all off season, gone through training camp gone through the last preseason game and all of a sudden they they ship him out and bring in a guy that they really don't know a whole lot about like do they have scouts at these other games that that give them intel on a guy like Ross Blacklock like I would be interested to know how they even stumbled on him being a person of value to them in the first place. Yeah, and logistically, Ron, like how long does it take realistically for a player to get acclimated with the new surroundings? Mm-hmm. Not just the playbook, but new locker room, new teammates, new guys playing next to you, all things like that. Uh, well, that's the thing. So you look at OBJ joining the Rams. He joined them late, and then he won a Super Bowl with them. I mean, he did get hurt before the game, but you know, before that, you know, he was throwing Call of Duty armor on in the end zone after he scored touchdowns. So <laughs> clearly, it's up to the player. You know, it's all about the player and how they grasp the offense. Some guys can go in, boom, click, and get it right away. Uh, some guys, it takes time. For me, it took me time early, and then by the time I got to the Bears, when they asked me to play tight end, I was able to mentally switch from receiver to tight end within like a day or two, and Lovey mm. Smith uh, told me, he's like, look, it's not going to be an easy transition. You're going to have to learn a lot. And so I just basically killed myself in the playbook just trying to learn – uh, tight end routes, tight end blocking schemes, because you got to know it all. You got to know the protection. You got to know if the if the protection changes sides. Now you become the strong side tight end versus the weak side in a two tight set. If it's a shift, now where are we blocking? We're blocking this way on the right. Okay, you shift two tight ends to the left. Now where are we blocking? So, same with the defense end, the tackle in the three four, depending on the the front. And who, because, you know, they close it right, you know, which just means this is my strong side. So uh, in the 3-4, that's going to be Eric Kendrick's call, you know, and Ray Lewis. I used to, I, People always wonder that. Ray Lewis used to always say it loud. Like, he was one of the louder ones. Like, close it right. And he's just closing the defense right, which means right is our strong side. Right is where the tight end is. So now, boom, you're the Will, you're the Sam. And that's all that does is flip. Whatever is closed becomes the strong side, and whichever is open is the weak side. And so – in this scheme, I don't know because we haven't had time to really hear that stuff just yet. Um, I, you know, like I said, one, during once the season starts and I get a chance to get on the field for a little bit and meet some of these coaches. I've already met some, but I actually have serious conversations about this defense because you can't really talk about it during preseason because they don't really have it truly set. And they're not really willing to talk about it because they don't know who to trust. Uh, hopefully, as the season starts, they'll realize I'm on the sideline. I'm a guy they can trust. And then I can get some intel on, like, this is what this defense does. This is what some of our calls are. Um, for Ross Blaylock, Blacklock, he's just got to, you know, the good thing about being a D tackle, there's only a few things to know in the three, four, where, where am I lining up? You know, if I'm head up, if I'm shading a guy, if I'm a cock nose, like what, what am I doing? And so whatever he's doing in that, once he learns where to line up, then, then it's playing fast. It's just playing fast, creating havoc, making sure that if you get single cup, you know, single blocked, you're going. Um, so I think he could, defensively he could pick it up very fast. It's not that hard to tackle. DB sometimes can be a little tough because of the coverages. Um, but D-line, it, it, other than the tackle in twist and some of that stuff, that stuff the the, ta- the, the line, outside linebacker can tell him, hey, it, it's a wheel T, it's a T-E twist, a wheel in twist or whatever. Or, you know, he can tell you a tackle in twist. They can tell you coming out of the huddle or you can actually talk about it as you're going. Uh, so some of that stuff, hopefully, you know, he'll get the call because if both go inside – that's how contain is broken. Um, but I, I don't think it's hard to figure it out. Honestly, they must have saw something or got word from somebody else within the organization that this guy can be better than what we have. 
Um, Before we keep talking Vikings Packers, reminder to subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota. You can do it a couple ways on YouTube. Get all of our videos, like and comment on the videos, subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota there or wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to this roundtable, the Ron Johnson Show, Superior Sports Talk, and the Minnesota Football Party, as well as our instant reaction postcasts after every game. But but looking at the Packers week, uh, this is Packers week. You know, we talked about the moves, the guys that Jalen Rager. I think personally, I think, you know, looking back on it now, a, a Smith-Marset versus Rager. Give me Rager. Uh, Rager was a proven first-round commodity type receiver. Um, I think he ended up in a poor offense with the Eagles. I think the Eagles never really knew how to use him. Uh, when you see a guy with that speed, you got to have other – you can't just coach him up to be what you want him to be. You have to let him be what he can be. And so I think with Justin Jefferson and Thielen, they don't need him to be that. They need him to be something else. They have K.J. Osborne in the third receiver spot. So what do they need him to be? Be a fourth receiver that can take the top off. Be a fourth receiver that if we throw it to you, you're going to make the catch. Now, he's not Nelson Aguilar because we know Aguilar has some issues in Philly with dropping balls. I think Rager just never got a chance. And so that's what we'll see is, is can he get that TCU? Can he get that old thing back? You know, um, mm. that's, that's what I think people want to see. Can he get back to what he was at TCU? Kevin O'Connell might be a get out of him, but I think honestly it was a punt return piece. Uh, it was better for them to get that as a punt returner and not give up a lot. Um, you know, seventh and a fourth conditional. Hey, if, that, if that's what your punt returners were, I mean, think about what Devin Hester was in NFL for a while. Not to say he's going to be that, but how important, a punt returner is as far as changing the field, not allowing the punter to flip the field and, and putting your offense in a bad position, uh, knowing when and when not to fair catch it, all that stuff. He's a vet. He's been there. He's done it in games where Smith-Marset, this was in the first year, so they just weren't they weren't secure with him. When we think about this week, Packers-Vikings, the energy, um, what do you see coming from this game? Yeah, I'll take a stab here. Um, well, number one, I think – that we often get caught in the weeds with some of these roster moves, you know, like in early September. Like I think about in the past, guys the Vikings have picked up, like Brett Jones and George Iloka, um, mm -hmm. and you know Corey Vedvik, the punter slash kicker, like Chris Herndon last year. It seems like the biggest thing in the world. All oh, these guys are going to have an impact, or all oh, these guys are going to be a disaster. Either way you you go, a lot of times it ends up being much ado about nothing. So like getting caught up in the weeds with Amir Smith-Marset or Jalen Rager, you know, Watson, Blacklock, Jesse Davis getting traded. A lot of it is not going to matter. And we're, we're, I think we're, we're a little bit blinded because we've only seen these backups all preseason. I think we forget that this team is driven by Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Brian O'Neill, Irv Smith, we haven't seen at all. Christian Derrick, like there are stars on this team, both sides of the ball that we just haven't really seen. Like we're still waiting to see what this team is actually going to look like. And we're kind of, we're talking about these bottom of the roster guys who may not even have an impact. So when the Packers come here in nine days, you know, it's going to be about the stars again. It's yep. going to be about, can your stars propel you to victory? And yeah, sure. those depth pieces might come into play later on in the season if there are some injuries, but you know, the real answer will be, um, you know, what's this offense going to look like? And mm -hmm. I think, I think you, you gotta worry about that green Bay defense being really good because, yeah. um, at all levels, they have talent. They've got Rashawn Gary, they've mm -hmm. got Preston Smith. They've got Devondre Campbell, the gopher, Adrian Amos, Jair mm -hmm. Alexander. There there's a lot of talent on that defense. So I think the Vikings are going to have a test to, uh, to make sure they can move the ball. There's obviously very good inside pressure that they can bring with Kenny Clark. Mm -hmm. So they got to protect Kirk Cousins in this game. And, you know, the, you do wonder if there's going to be a rust factor having not played at all in this preseason with some of these guys. I would lean toward no. I think they're going to be all right. Um, but they're, they're going to have to score points because this is the Packers, and the Packers are going to score points too. I'm excited for a potential shootout. I hope this game gets into the 30s. I think that would be a ton of fun. And to see if the Vikings can keep up with this Green Bay offense that, that always seems to bring it. Remember, they hung th uh, 43 on the Vikings in this building in the 2020 opener. So uh, you, you, you're going to have to score some points in this game. 
Yeah, I'm going to go back just to the Vikes defensively. What you don't want is Rodgers to get into a rhythm early with these no-name targets and build that confidence early because that's obviously been the A topic for the Packers offense all offseason. Who's Rodgers going to throw the ball to? They've heard it all offseason for months and months, so maybe keeping that stigma and mindset active in the first half will be huge for the outcome of the game. Having Rodgers going to halftime and starting to believe the notion that, man, maybe I don't have any receivers. Or maybe, maybe I can't do this all on my own. That would be huge. Stopping that run first and foremost, like I mentioned, and getting them into third and long situations, that's where you're going to win because that's, like Sam said, your playmakers, your best players. You got Hunter and Zadarius. Then they can pin their ears back and get into the backfield, make Rodgers uncomfortable at home, at the bank. Place is going to be loud. That's going to be a big key defensively. And also, too, I got to know, you know, Sam mentioned rust factor. That could come into play, but I certainly expect... There's going to be some growing pains along the way on this defense and coverage, too. Brand new defense for these guys. First real action. You start your season versus, you know, one of the most effective, efficient quarterbacks to ever play the game. There's going to be some missed assignments in here. Uh, there's going to be some guys not being where they're supposed to be, some miscommunication, etc. But that's just all part of those growing pains. And I think as long as you limit those plays in between the 20s and don't give up the big, easy plays over the top, you can clamp down in the red zone. I think they'll be able to survive and overcome those mistakes. Yeah, I feel like I'm like in the minority here, but I don't know really what to expect. I think I'm like very eager to see what this offense is going to look like because we've seen vanilla mm -hmm. and haven't seen any of the starters in the preseason. And then at camp, We've seen a lot of stuff that I'm not really sure what we can draw from. You know, if we're going by camp, you know, Kirk Cousins has thrown a lot of interceptions. But it's like, you know, we talked about it, how Drew Brees would take a little bit more risks during training camp, you know, because that was his time to do that. And he wouldn't necessarily look like that during the game when it's time to, you know, strap him on and go play. I don't know what this team is going to like. You know, maybe, you know, Jalen Rager takes on the, the form of like a Van Jefferson, like the guy that when he's in the game, you got to watch out for him because he's going to stretch the field, you know, on a go route. And, you know, Justin Jefferson is going to be like Cooper Cup and, and Thielen's going to do his thing. And, you know, they're going to try to get Cook involved in the passing game and how how, you know, committed to the run is Kevin O'Connell going to be like there are so many different answers that that I'm looking for that I'm just not really sure how to like say I, I'm not really sure how to say oh man yeah the Vikings are gonna you know kill them or they're gonna compete with them they're gonna keep up I know that they have the talent to do so but as far as like putting it all together and and seeing how everything meshes with this new offense I just don't really know what to expect yeah, I think the I, I defense just, is going to be better too, but mm -hmm. I, yeah, Luke, I just don't really know. Well, I'm actually with Reggie here. Uh, you're not in the minority because I don't know. I, defensively, I can kind of put my you know finger on it that, yeah, they got studs. Harrison Phillips has looked great. We know Kendricks, Hunters, Zedarius, yep. Harrison Smith. But offensively, and it makes sense too, right? Brand new coaching staff completely switches the mindset, defensive-oriented coach, offensive-oriented coach, pass-happy league. But I just don't know what we're going to get. We could get the Cousins drops back 50 times and spreads it all over the field. Or, and this is what I think is probably more likely uh, they come out and lean into Dalvin and they, you see a lot more CJ Ham than maybe you would have expected and they try mm -hmm. to keep the Packers defense honest now it may start out pass heavy to open up the first few series to open up the running lanes unlike what we're used to seeing under Zim where you run to set up the pass but I think it'll look the other way around there but here's the thing you got to remember too and Sam mentioned it Packers got a rookie linebacker starting at uh, uh, linebacker excuse me with Quay Walker but outside of that you got 10 returning starters on an already really solid defense. Mm -hmm. 11th in the league versus the run, 10th in the league versus the pass last year, and they're probably going to be even better this season. So it's a great litmus test for the offense specifically right out the gate that everybody's expecting these fireworks. We'll see if they live up to the expectations. I think my biggest X factor with the offense is the offensive line. 
How do they look right now? How cohesive are they? Did Darisaw really take that big leap forward this offseason? Is Ed Ingram, you know, a, a, a look the part of a starting right guard, even as a rookie? Can they open up holes in the run game? Can they give Kirk that clean pocket that he needs to? Because this Packers front seven, I'm telling you, it's loaded. They can force you into third and longs and force Kirk into some really tough, muddy pocket throws in there. And in the back end, there's playmakers. Uh, mm -hmm. Sam mentioned Jair Alexander. Rasul Douglas led the team with six interceptions last year, and he just came in as a free agent. That was his first year with the Packers. So the more I think about it, just from an X's and O's standpoint, I think everything's so new for the Vikes on both sides of the ball. They come out, and there's probably a little, uh, you know, a few lessons to be learned the hard way to start the season. And just knowing that, not to jump ahead too much, there's just a very likely scenario that they could start out 0-2 just given the tough matchups that they have right out the gate. Well, you know what? I think we beat a dead horse. September 11th is coming. I can't <laughs> wait for the food. Um, I know Sam. I, I see where Sam sits up there in the press box now. I know Reggie's up there. So we'll have to see what this food in the press box looks like. I'm excited for that. It's always pretty good. So 325, so you're going to get like a nice little like Prime a Prime rib or something. Yeah, like a lunchy type. I don't do red meat, though, so... I'm, 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 and it probably doesn't sound great. People are like, what? That's not a good, I'm looking forward to like a nice Caesar salad, like a chicken Caesar salad, with some egg in it, some avocado. So I know it doesn't, you know, that's not the appetizing. Not, you know, 72% vegetarian, right? 72% vegetarian. I'm looking forward to like the, I want the early game though. Cause I missed the omelet six. Like, oh, oh, the omelet yeah. bar. Oh, yeah. omelet, omelet bar is mm. the best. So that's what yeah. I'm looking forward to the most. But speaking of Packer fans, I'm Ron Johnson, that's Sam Ekstrom, that's Luke Inman, and that's Reggie Wilson from Superior Sports Talk. We got to talk about a Packer fan that we all know and love, A-Rod. <laughs> J-Lo, A-Rod talk coming up next. A reminder to check out the all-new Minnesota football party with yours truly, Luke Inman, Luke Braun of Locked on Vikings, and Arif Hassan of The Athletic. Talking Vikings for an hour every Monday and Thursday. Subscribe to Locked on Sports Minnesota on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. An hour of Vikings talk twice a week. It's good stuff. Make sure to check that out and leave a five-star rating and review. And his former boo, <laughs> J-Lo. In the Packer-Vikings game, I remember people brought this up. When that game was announced and there was a chance J-Lo might come because A-Rod, you know, uh, potentially could get back with her, bring a different, you know, you know, be at the Packer game with Mark Lo Now, this dude might not even own the team past 7%. And this is why. If you don't know the story, Jennifer Lopez, when she was with A-Rod, they were com combining their money. Allegedly, that's what A-Rod was saying, that we were combining their money. And, and, and let's see. Let's, let's be honest. Neither of them need each other's money. Like, they're both right. rich. Right. They're both right. rich. But two rich people together make a really rich person. And so I think what ended up happening was they wanted – Mark Laurie wanted to go into this. Like, he didn't want to be cash-strapped. He wanted to go in this fully funded, 50-50. You come up with your half. I come up with my half. Well, then when it was time to pay the Piper, allegedly Mark Laurie owns a bigger – because I think it was 20%. They're saying Mark Laurie earns 13 and A-Rod only owns seven because A-Rod couldn't come up with the rest of the money. And we're talking about a lot of money. We're talking about billies, not millies, billies. Billies. This is going to be a billion-dollar acquisition. Um, and so now A-Rod without J-Lo, they're saying a lot of these backers and these financial people that want to be a part of the J-Lo train aren't really – like, they don't care about A-Rod. And what the rumor was that – a-Rod would host these meetings at the, 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 the compound and J-Lo, because she's a workout guru, walked around in Lululemon and sports bras. And so they said Mark Laurie became really enamored by the form of J-Lo, which, I mean, I think everybody would. Um, but it was like Medusa. He got turned to stone. He completely <laughs> forgot what he was supposed to do. And he was just like, yep, I want to be you. You're a part of my, you're my buying team. Like, I need you there because I need J-Lo next to me wearing the Lululemon, like he just got, he got bamboozled, hoodwinked, and now she's married to Ben Affleck. And so now Mark Laurie is like asking Ben Affleck, hey, do you want to be an owner? <laughs> <laughs> you want to be the owner for the Timberwolves with me? Because this A-Rod guy, like it's not working out. Cause I think they were trying to buy another, like they tried to buy the Knicks or something, or mm -hmm. I can't remember the other team they tried to buy or, or a baseball team, I, they, but they went to try to buy something else mm -hmm. and it didn't work. They didn't win. 
Um, because wh- which one was it? Was it the Knicks or who? who the they Mets. Try to buy? I think the, it was Mets. the Mets. Yes, it was the Mets. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was New York. It was orange and blue, but it was the Mets. They tried to buy the Mets, and then um, I forgot the guy's name. They ended up winning the bid. Who won the Mets bid? Cohen. I can't remember. Cohen. Yep. And Cohen. so he came in and, and offered a bigger amount. Of course, J Lo's like, ah, that ain't worth it, babe. Like. Let's just move on to the next. And so they set their eyes on the Timberwolves, which is going to be a great franchise now with Rudy Gobert. Looks like Utah's blowing that thing up. They got rid of Donovan Mitchell. Um, You know, nothing against Colin Sexton, but I don't think he's anywhere close to what Donovan Mitchell is. So when you think about this whole acquisition now, only in Minnesota can our owner have money issues because of his boo leaving them. What do you guys think about that? Let's go with you first, uh, Sam. Well, I was very disappointed when that relationship <laughs> ended because I pictured this power couple with courtside seats yep. every game just stealing the spotlight at Timberwolves games. I mean, what a refreshing sight from seeing Glenn Taylor <laughs> and his lack of emotion sitting on a courtside every single game. The guy does not smile. The guy does not cheer. He just sits there. I watched him the entire game three when I went. Just sits there with the program in his hand. It doesn't seem to have any attachment to this team. I was excited for J-Lo and A-Rod red carpeting into the game every single mm-hmm. night. Um, so that's I was bummed about that part of it. But I totally joked about this as being a real possibility before I actually saw this story. And to see that it's actually happening, like he's actually cash-strapped. Now, I know John Krasinski has insisted that he's not as cash-strapped as the story makes him seem. But it's believable that it would be hard to raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, that's what they're asking. And apparently, A-Rod's worth like half a billy, but a lot of it's not liquid. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of it is in his various investments. And if J-Lo was, you know, used as sort of leverage, like, hey, like, our total worth is $1.3 billion or whatever it might be, yeah, it's going to be uh, easier to attract investors. My question is, I guess, like, when you – if if you're raising money to help buy a franchise, how do you pay those people off shy of selling the team? Like when do they get their money back? That's what I don't necessarily understand. Do they get a seat at the meetings? Do they get to like come and shake hands with Carl Anthony Towns and Ant Edwards? Like, I don't know how that works. This is like above my pay grade. I'm just, I think it's funny. Um, I think it's, it's disappointing that she's out of the picture now, but also guys, Maybe she would have forced A-Rod to sell the team to, like, Las Vegas. Like, hey, like, I'd love a residency in Vegas. Why don't we bring Ooh. the Timberwolves mm. there instead? So maybe it actually saved the Timberwolves mm. and kept them in Minnesota because, you know, there is that allure of, uh, of moving to a sexier city, and, uh, and J-Lo might have been an advocate for that. No, you're right. That's a good point there. Not too much to add. You're right. The big thing in this, he's worth 500 mil, but you're right, Sam. Not enough of it is liquid right now. I think the good news is is him and Laura are, are apparently pretty tight. Like, they're best buds. So I could see Laura end up bailing him out and taking a bigger piece of the pie. And what was supposed to be a 50-50 split between the two just ends up being he owns more than A-Rod because that's maybe the only way it's going to work. Uh, and I guess if you're the Wolves, you don't care who's paying the money just as long as it gets to you and the checks don't bounce. And at the end of the day, I still think they find a way to make this work. Uh, just don't be surprised if A-Rod doesn't own the 50% that, you know, initially he was supposed to. Okay, what what's going on here? Like, first off, I, I got questions. Like, what happened? We still don't know what happened between him and J-Lo. Like, J-Lo ended up going back to Ben Affleck. Like after all that, she ended up going back to Ben. Like, what Reggie did you do, A Rod? Reggie wants like, the tea. What's going I can on? give you the tea, Reggie. I can How give you the tea. The bag so, like that. No, so COVID. So when you think about celebrity relationships, oh. like look at Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. Like he doesn't date a woman until she, like, once she turns twenty-five and twenty-two That's it. seconds, she's out. She's out. out. He, he just he's broke out. up, right? Next. Yeah, yeah, just broke up. Like if you look at his track yeah. record, like oh my goodness, like his first girlfriend when she was eighteen was Giselle Bundchen. Like he started no off deal. with Giselle Bunchin. He's moved on to numerous, like Blake Lively. I mean, come on now. And the minute they hit like 23, 24, they're getting closer to 25. If they get 25 and anything over, it. it's like, hey, uh, appreciate everything you've done for me. <laughs> it's uh, not you, it's me. Okay. So it's not are... me, it's your age. It's not you. It's the fact that your mom had you uh 25 years ago. And so right. it just was it was in the cards. Uh, but when you think about J Lo COVID. 
Um, they said they had to be together too much. She was used to the jet setting, you know, oh, love relationships where she only gets to see him, you know, two to three times a week. Um, they both have really, you know, busy lives. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and it's like, well, the world shut down and they were stuck. And she said he was boring. And, and I was like, I, I get it because marriage is boring. Like I look at me and my wife sometimes even in bed and I, and I don't want to, I like, I'll be on my phone and I put my phone down and I look over and she's on still on her phone. And I'm like, we've been sitting in the bed for like 10 minutes on our phones. Like, what the hell are we just doing? And so like, but that's, but that's like just a Tuesday. Like relationships get boring at times. And then you have the spicy weekends where you can go out and have dinner and, you know, but it, it is a downtime in marriage. And, and and so I think J. Lo is just used to like Ben Affleck. I think it's like, well, who knows? Who knows what is going to come of this? Uh, he's still an, a, a, a working actor. So maybe that's what's helping is that he's gone too. So she needs that separation. I think Kim Kardashian said the same thing, uh, you know, being around Kanye for too long. And then she was around Pete Davidson and that got boring. Uh, because he wanted her to come hang out and she's like, look, I got four kids by this crazy dude. Um, you know, like, like there's a lot, there's a lot going, but yeah, basically JLo said the spark was gone. She said he was boring. Spark was gone. It wasn't what she thought it was going to be. They were stuck in the house during COVID and like many relationships during COVID, they got exposed and she was like, I'm ready to move on. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This dude wants to sit by the lake you know, and write books and, you know, write in his notepad about what his dreams are. He's a sensitive um, man. But to yeah. clean up, you know, to do a little cleanup, we need to find a sponsor for the cleanup. He's actually only worth $350 million due to some of his investments he's made. Because he yeah. did have a, yeah, he did have a $275 million guaranteed contract in 2007. He also has a lot of lucrative uh, other deals out there. He makes $33 million a year. So they say he makes about $2 million a month right now. It's crazy. Wow. $2 million plus a month. But... He's had some investments that are out there that are not all they're not all returning. So some are out okay. within, you know, certain things. Now, maybe if he were to like clean out and sweep, maybe he could get back to 500 million. And I think honestly is probably what he's trying to do right now is like go out, talk to some of the investors like, hey, I know I invest with you, but I, I need that back. Like, I got to go buy this team because um, yeah. the one thing about this, a team versus any stock is going to return bigger money. Like I looked at my 401k the other day and I, I got to stop looking at it. I lost like $30,000 uh, the last two months because of what's going on in the world. Uh, big mm. company, large company, you know, the, the large company, a lot of my money is, and it's not doing great right now. Hopefully Christmas comes around and it, it, it gets a boost, which is going to happen. And that's why I just can't look at it. Cause I'm like, stop looking at it. Like it's not going to matter. Yeah. You can't take it out. You're not right. 45 yet. Even you can't move it and do other things yet. Wait till you're 55. And then maybe you can think about doing something, rolling over to an IRA or something. But yeah. um, when I looked at that 401k, I'm like, you know what? I could see a rod probably trying to figure this out. Cause he's got a 401k from the, from the MLB for sure. I mean, he played yeah. a long time. So I know he invested in that. He's big on the stock market stuff. Uh, him and Jeter are big time businessmen. Uh, so he's right. He's at 350, but he doesn't have it liquid back to that. The house, the cars, the investments. Um, he's got to figure out a way, though, because if Mark Laurie secretly wants to do this and becomes majority owner in this and they're not 50 50 and he's like, look, I'll take 40 and or I'll take 60. You take 40. He has the he has the interest now. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need a Rod's permission to do anything. Because and that's what he did not want to do. He said, well, I want to be partners in this. But hey, look, if I'm paying 75 percent, you're paying like if I'm paying 750 million and you're just paying 250. Hey, if I say the napkins are going to be pink tonight, the napkins are going to be pink. But that's the T Reggie. That's what happened <laughs> uh, with that. Uh, but again, only in Minnesota, only in Minnesota can this happen where the owner's girlfriend could screw up the possible purchase of the team. And this was even crazier. If they can't come up with the money, we did all this like uh, pandering, I think is the word or whatever we whatever you call that. We did all this like, oh, Glenn Taylor's got to go. And then Glenn Taylor is going to come back and he's going to have to find a new buyer. And, you know, who knows who that might be Steph Curry and Diddy with uh, Snoop. <laughs> I would love to see them by the Timberwolves. <laughs> and Steph Curry put himself on the Timberwolves as owner. Like that would just be the best move ever. He's going to buy the Timberwolves and then start himself at point guard alongside D'Lo, uh, Anthony Edwards, because he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have to pay himself anything because he's the owner. He's like, look, I don't need a salary. I could be on this team for a million dollars. And then I'm just the owner though. We're about to go win a championship with, with, with Rudy Gobert, Carlin E. Towns, Steph Curry, and Edwards. Like that's the team I want to see. Give me that team. With D-Lo, three guards, two bigs, 
oh my goodness. Like, but that's dreams, never going to happen. Ron it's not going to happen. I know. I'm, LeBron wants dreams. to own a team someday. I'm dream- Well, I don't want a 40 year old LeBron. Like, LeBron <laughs> needs to let go that he's going to play with Bronny and Bryce, too. Little bonus, uh, Minnesota, Locked On Sports Minnesota. This is the round table. I'm Ron Johnson. That's Reggie uh, Wilson. That's Luke Inman. And that's Sam Ekstrom. Reggie Wilson, of course, from Care 11. Luke Inman from the Superior Sports Talk Show. And then Sam Ekstrom, uh, producer, co host of the Ron Johnson Show. Little bonus. LeBron James wants to play with Bryce and Bronny. It's not going to happen. Like, Bryce is a ninth grader. That means he's got to be like 41, 42, <laughs> like, on a roster. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess there would be a team that would take him at 42 because uh, what's his name? Vince Carter did it. Yeah. Um, LeBron is in great health. He's 6'8", 250 pounds. So that's a little bit different than, like, a 42-year-old point guard. You don't have to run as much. But come on, man. Like, Bryce might get drafted. But Bronny probably is not like, or if it is a second round, like, hey, we'll just take him because we know we probably can get LeBron to come here. Yeah, um, where is Bronny on the prospect chart? Like, he's not—he's not even on like it. a top ten, top. No, 50. He's not a college coaches are even saying. Okay. College coaches are even saying like he wouldn't even be a top twenty recruit right now for them. Wow. Like, he's not okay. even on there. Like, like I mean, Dawson Garcia is higher than Bronny. As far as NBA talk goes, so so this is all pipe mm. dream. This is this is make believe. This won't happen. Yeah, I mean he'll this get picked up. He'll get okay. teams are all saying okay. they'll pick him up. Like, Summer league, like, and give him a look. Else. Okay. Yeah, but he's he's only six three and he's a point guard or he's a shooting guard at six three. So he doesn't yeah. he doesn't do anything special. Now he does everything technically great because he's de- his dad is a great basketball player. But no, Bryce is the one six six in the ninth grade. I mean he grew mm-hmm. seven inches because you can see his TikToks. There's a TikTok of him and Bronny together, and he's shorter. And then, like, six months, seven months later, he's grown, like, seven inches. He went from, like, 5'11", 5'10", to 6'6". He's only a ninth grade? He's a ninth grader on Sierra Cannon's (laughs) ninth grade team at 6'6". He's not even on varsity yet, but I guess he'll be on varsity this year. But he's 6'6". Like, he grew in the ninth grade. He grew eight inches, which reminds me, if people don't remember, from Minnesota, for the Minnesotans on this, and now also NBA guy, Zeke Nanaji. For those who don't remember Zeke Nanaji at Lakeville, his freshman year, he was only about 6'4". I want to say, like, his eighth grade in the year, like 6'4", 6'5". And then he'll be, what, 6'11"? So, yeah, or 7 feet, or 6'11 prospect, you know, in the NBA. So, hey, Bryce might not be done growing. Bryce might be the 6'8", 6'9". Time, you know, next coming of, of dad. Um, but yeah, so uh, Timberwolves, go pick up Bronny and Bryce because you can get LeBron at 42 years old. Um, I mean, I guess it'd be great to sell tickets to get LeBron here, put him in a 23 jersey. Uh, and Edwards would be in his prime, like Michael Jordan at that point. So, hey, Anthony Edwards, LeBron James, Carl Anthony Towns, and uh, Rudy Gobert, I guess I'll take it at 42 with up. Bryce and Bronny. I'm good. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But that'll do it for us today on the roundtable for Locked On Sports, Minnesota's podcast. Please comment, like, share, comment. Let us know what you think. Is J-Lo, like, did she screw us over? Are we Should we hate J-Lo now in Minnesota? Because we know Minnesotans <laughs> take everything personal and make it about them. So is there, are they going to boycott the next J-Lo concert when she tries to come to the uh, Target Center? Will A-Rod show up to the Target Center when she has a concert here and try to win her back in grandiose fashion? Uh, let us know what you think about the Vikings Packers game. Is this, are we, is this like, are we just dreaming? Are we like so enamored with Kevin O'Connell? We don't realize the Vikings have no chance to be Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. And now to do it for us on Locked On Sports, Minnesota's podcast roundtable.